Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody in podcast land. This is episode nine of the High Action Podcast. I'm Will Brom. I'm joined with Perry Smith in Brooklyn. Yo. John Story in Burbank slash Studio City. And today we're here to talk about concepts and rhythm and lead guitar. But, you know, I think before we do that, we should kind of catch up since we haven't seen each other for a couple weeks and see how our uh, Thanksgiving holiday was. So, um, John, you've been uh, you've been pretty busy. How, how was your Thanksgiving? It was great. And... Um... Yeah, been been making some moves over here. I'm getting ready to to move a little west over to Studio City, uh, which for those of you listening who don't know, Los Angeles is kind of a, another branch of the Valley, and uh, so yeah, it's been fun. Like, go, it, I've been taking the time to go through a lot of my gear and really kind of decide going forward um, certain things that I want. So, if any listeners are interested in any great deals on pedals, just come to John's Gear Bazaar on Facebook, and I'll. Uh, I'll, I'll broker you a good deal on an old distortion pedal if you want. <laughs> nice. John's Gear Bazaar. Yeah. yeah got, got to take the opportunity to get the word out about stuff like that. I have all sorts of XLR cables. Very interesting stuff. Very What kind of distortion pedal is it? Uh, I think I have a TS-808 well, tube technically screamer. that's an overdrive pedal. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, and I, I wouldn't get rid of that. That, that thing will outlive the next nuclear winter. Yeah. Um, so, Perry, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Yeah, I didn't buy any distortion pedals, but, you know, I uh, definitely had some turkey. Aren't they called overdrive pedals? I feel like I started calling them distortion pedals, and someone gave me shit about that before. Well, they it's are over. So an overdrive pedal is softer clipping, and a distortion pedal is hard clipping. So a, a tube oh. screamer is an overdrive. A distortion pedal would be like... Um, like a pro-co rat. Like a rat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Basic. So... Overdrive is kind of a broader term. Distortion is more like like uh, the boss metal zone. See, is an obvious you, know, you can learn something new every week here on the High Action Podcast. <laughs> yes, you can. And, thanks, um, and that's that's today's episode. Thanks for joining us. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Now, um, uh, yeah, everything's everything was good. Hung out with family and friends. Ate some turkey. Got uh, got my basketball game on. You know, kind of a yearly nice. Thanksgiving tradition to try to throw down some hoops after eating a bunch of turkey. And, um, yeah, so that was, things were good. How about you, Will? Well, I drove from Los Angeles to Portland, Oregon in one day. And the last time I made that drive, I was a younger man with more stamina. And, uh, yeah. oh, man, I don't want to do that again in one was day. Was it, uh, it 15 and a half hours? I mean, if you include a couple stops and, you know, it's Thanksgiving week, so the places that you stop, you know, all the new West stops, like... Uh, just over the grapevine, <laughs> yeah. Lost and Hills. Then, you, Redding, yeah, exactly. Like stop in what, what was, yeah. What was funny is I hadn't done the I five trip in like over two years, but I just immediately knew all the spots to stop. Yeah. You know where to get gas. You get gas next to Andersons at the Loves. You know yeah. they always have the best price. And then um, after Oregon, I went down to Oakland and was at Yoshi's with Arturo uh, Thanksgiving weekend, which was really fun getting to just hang in Northern California. And that was my Thanksgiving. It was basically an absurd amount of driving. So, Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Once once you hit Eugene on the five and you're done it in one day, it's, you start you start seeing invisible friends in the oh, car. Man. It's very yeah. tough. I've done that drive. I did that drive once in a 97 Ford Escort with <laughs> no cassette deck, no CD player, just an AM, FM radio, no cruise control. 
And I did oh, it in 15 man. and a half. I left LA at 4.30 in the morning and got there at 8 at night. And it was, wow. Yeah. This is, this was is part of what we train for as jazz guitar players. A nice little 15-hour drive, like eat that fucking thing for lunch. You know? Right? Still you need, doesn't right? top the day that the New West Guitar Group drove from Denver to LA. That, that was a 16, 17-hour one. one, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a heavy, yep. and heavy drive. After Hurricane Sandy, when you were stuck in Dallas, Stein and I drove from Dallas to Los Angeles, and we got to like San Bernardino, and we're like, we got to get, we we can't even make it into Echo Park. We're so tired. Yeah, so, wow. I think the the message is here: uh, play like trumpet or flute or something that you don't have to like, you know, get in a big car. You can just like uh, you know, pop on the airplane because a lot of times we're driving places because we don't want to check our guitars. We want to bring our amps. So, you know, we're bringing like five or six guitars on the road. So, yeah, just wait. Speaking for that high of speed rail. Speaking of gear. Uh, want to shout out to AEA microphones, of which I'm using their N22 behind me on my Hendrickson amplifier. Um, they're uh, great friends of New West, and they've uh, hooked John and I up with some great stuff. So you're listening to the sound of an AEA N22 Ooh. right up against a Hendrickson Blue. And we want to remind you to check out patreon.com slash Group. We just released some fun videos, and we've got lots more in the can for you. And Perry, you got an interesting statistic for our um, our downloads on this podcast. Maybe you could give some words of encouragement to bump those numbers over the edge. Yes, right? we were, were very close. Just about 2,000 downloads this last month, which is a record for us. So thank you for all of our loyal listeners and for the new listeners uh, we're just happy to be building the community and discussing all things guitar. And um, yeah, we'll talk about sort of the, the topic today and, you know, mm-hmm. sort of where we might head in uh, this vast yeah. topic. So this is going to be the first of maybe a series of discussions about rhythm guitar and lead guitar. Um, things they have in common, things that we approach differently about them. I'd say the first thing to say when you talk about, well, what's the difference between rhythm guitar and lead guitar? I think the right thing to say is, what's the similarity that rhythm guitar playing and lead guitar playing has? And I think that really comes down to time and groove, right? Yeah. You know, the last season we were talking to all these different players and we, you know, talk, ask them this same question. That was usually some sort of answer that they would give as if, you know, if I'm comping... Trying to bridge that gap where it's almost like there isn't a difference. It's all groove. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I almost think of that more like solo guitar, just overall. Well, like, if we were together in person, maybe we could like play one of our arrangements, like where we're going between 
Perry's on rhythm, John's soloing, mm-hmm. and then it swaps to me on rhythm while Perry solos. Um, but in this zoom sphere, I'm, I'm approaching this in a solo guitar setting, basically. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be an interesting topic because kind of like what you're saying, well, like one informs the other, you know? Mm-hmm. However, there are like areas that you kind of stretch more for certain things. Like if you're really playing rhythm guitar, you're kind of establishing more of a commitment to the, mm-hmm. a, a deliberate commitment to playing the rhythm and playing the groove and making it feel uh, mm-hmm. a way that's supportive, right? And sometimes with lead, you can be more melodic like a vocalist or a horn player and you're not, you can maybe pull on the time a little bit more. You know, you can sort sure. of phrase, it doesn't have to be straight down the middle, right? Um, but when I think about rhythm and lead together, um, or I guess I would think of it more like this, like this is a maybe a really solid rhythm type of playing into lead playing, like one, two, three, four. heavy rhythm and then lead kind of going back and forth between those two things mm-hmm. to me that's that's like uh at least within the realm of jazz sort of two distinct ways of playing rhythm and lead you know but i could feel the pocket the whole time so there's that disconnect between the two types but at the same time john i'm sure you'd agree it's it's like you're on the the telephone wire is there and you're just changing the way you're interacting with it so yeah. john how would you comp in a drumless musical setting? How would you approach rhythm guitar in a drumless ensemble? Yeah, very much like what a drummer would, would do. You know, I'd, I'd play in a way that could really create a groove and a pocket. Um, if I'm playing with a bass player, uh, you know, in like a trio, like a piano trio without drums, like the great Oscar Peterson groups or Nat King Cole trio, you know, you listen to how Oscar Moore played with Nat Cole and he, you know, Oscar actually didn't do a lot of Freddie stuff. You know, mm-hmm. he, played, he played on like Route 66. He's playing like that. And then you get towards like Herb Ellis and Oscar Peterson, you know, and those guys, you know, were modeling a lot of their arrangements after Nat's trio. You remember everyone wanted to be like Nat King Cole, Oscar Peterson, just, you know, he was one of his mentors and idols mm-hmm. and like um you hear herb and barney you know and those guys in those groups playing more of the traditional as we call it freddie green rhythm guitar of course freddie green being after the great guitarist who was in the count Basie orchestra for 50 years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, good point yeah but i i yeah i think about rhythm a lot uh, in in that kind of a group and try to be more percussive which percussive means to me that you're hearing more of the pick on the right hand of the guitar. You might be using other kind of right hand elements, such as like a thwack, kind of like to get that mm-hmm. kind of sound. And then in the left hand, you know, we have to create this kind of muting effect, just like how the felt 
dampers in a piano work where the the fingers come down on the strings and they come off the strings and that synapse of the fingers on the left hand coming off the strings and your right hand coming down just after that creates a thwack mm-hmm. you know the faster you play the more like specific you can get and if you're playing a ballad you want to get some sound in there you might even do it with full voicings a fatter mellower sound but yeah and and also just lastly on this before passing it over to you guys like with guitar you know i've always seen two fields you know the field of rhythm guitar and the field of of playing lead guitar and when we're playing solo as you mentioned perry we're really walking on that line because take a blues for example if we're way over in the field of rhythm guitar i might be doing at a softer volume four to the floor then the next step might be a little bit louder with full voicings like this then as I get closer to that line of lead guitar you're hearing more of the top note of the chord and maybe you're starting to hear more rhythms then as you get right on the line now you're starting to break up the bass the base of the chord and the top of the chord And on the line is where you're playing lead and chords at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I've got chord voicings. Then as we get farther from the line, we leave the chords behind and we're just playing single lines. And then way over in the lead field is just sheer volume. Like if you're really having to wail over a really loud band or take a solo, like as we all have done, taking solos in big bands. You know, or yeah. like, will you, I'm sure playing in Arturo's band, I mean, that's a really high octane kind of solo and situation. So you're not throwing in like probably a lot of big fat chord voicings in the middle <laughs> of your solo. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, in, in those loud settings, um, sometimes you, if you're in lead mode, you just are basically kind of acting like another horn player, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I'm not going to throw in a chord behind my melody note when you've got that type of ensemble barreling down yeah. in, behind you. John, you were you just reminded me, I was listening this morning to All Night Long by Kenny Burrell, and he was just doing all of that, and like the pocket was fat on that. Mm-hmm. Check that out, listeners, if you have not heard Kenny Burrell play All Night Long. It's just like some of the most swinging stuff. Yeah, um, I think Kenny's a really underrated player like that. I mean, you know, you listen to uh, Midnight Blue, and you listen to Chitlin's Concarney, the first track, and it, t- you know, it was like a year I had that record in high school. I didn't even realize there wasn't piano on that recording. Yeah. Kenny did such a good job on that recording creating this call and response, which is another mm-hmm. element of concepts and rhythm and lead guitar where you create this kind of depth with your playing where the chords come in and then you play a line. And that's such a fun situation in a, in a, in a situation where there's no piano or somebody mm-hmm. support, or another guitar player playing chords for you. So I remember you guys telling me, unfortunately, I was not there to witness this. I know I would have loved it. But when, when you guys uh, had a master class with... Uh, Mr. Pat Matheny, he was talking about how to feel the eighth note, right? You could feel it right on it, feel it a little behind the beat, feel it a little ahead of the beat. Perry, you remember telling me about this? Mm-hmm. So if we take, let, we'll stick in a B-flat blues world, why not? We've been doing it the entire podcast, why should we stop now? You know, if this is my tempo, and I'm just focusing on single notes... 
it's an interesting exercise to do. And I think it becomes more obvious when you're interacting, if you're practicing at home with a metronome, maybe have the metronome just on beat four, just on beat two, you could have it on two and four and just feeling that, that push and pull. It's a, it's a nice feeling, right? Yeah, absolutely. Perry, Perry, what do you think about like approaching, like where do you tend to sit? Do you play right on the beat, a little behind, a little ahead, or does it just depend? I think that's the the, la- the latter. It depends, you know, and that's mm-hmm. sort of what Matheny was talking about, just having the fluency of being able to go from being directly on the beat to being behind the beat to being ahead of the beat. And that's sort of where, you know, your rhythm guitar and lead guitar's concepts are going to kind of come together, you know, really being able to um, have that kind of control with the beat, whether you're playing chords and supporting somebody and accompanying somebody or whether you're stepping out and playing single notes, right? I think mm-hmm. that's that's sort of the message to take away from what Matheny's talking about. But he's also a great example of somebody who um, is going to approach playing rhythm in some ways differently than he's going to be approached playing a lead line, right? Like I yes. think when you're playing lead, like sometimes you can take a different kind of guitar, like you can take something that has a little bit more sustain and you can mm-hmm. try to play more melodically. You can try to play in a way that's not as obvious on the beat. You know, the way like a vocalist might, the way that a horn player might, that can be really effective, you know, especially when you have that happening in the context of solid rhythm behind you, right? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of where I feel like they, they differ. Um, versus playing lead, I mean, I'm sorry, versus playing rhythm, you really want to have that solid foundation. You know, I, I think of great rhythm guitar players in jazz. Um, I'm definitely thinking of Freddie Green. I'm definitely thinking mm-hmm. of... Herb Ellis, uh, Joe Pass, we mentioned Kenny Burrell, George Benson. Uh, I'd put Matheny in there. I'd even put Schofield mm-hmm. in there, you know, just for mm-hmm. getting into like more of a fusion way of playing rhythm. And then you can open that into different genres. Like think about the rhythm Al McKay, you know, that kind of rhythm guitar. I mean, that's really deep, funky rhythm yeah. guitar. Um, and then, yeah, when I think of someone that really plays great lead guitar in jazz, um, Obviously, a lot of those people come to mind, but I'm also thinking of someone like Bill Frizzell, right? That can play a melody that is like soaring and beautiful, Mm -hmm. and it's not like solidly directly in time the way you might have um, like some really swinging rhythm guitar be, you know, but it's very effective. So I think that's the real interest for me when it comes to these two different worlds of guitar playing. It's like, uh, understanding the similarities and differences and being able to explore them. So, you know, you brought up a lot of different types of players. Yeah. You were just talking about like Bill Frizzell versus Freddie Green. And I think a big part is you mentioned the word sustain. If you're in rhythm, a rhythm guitar mindset, you don't really need a lot of sustain, especially if we're talking about um, like really digging in to the box in, ca- in this case we're all on boxes right might be totally different if we're on a solid body but in general like when if new west is playing one of our arrangements we usually back the volume off on the guitar to get more of that percussive of feel. that yeah. percussive aspect right um there's not it in in our ensemble situation there's not particularly a lot of like type of comping Somewhat, but not as much as 
whereas whoever's soloing might turn their volume up some. Now if I turn my volume down and try to really do lead stuff, that has a different effect, but you have to dig in a little more. Right. So. And if you're cranking the volume, you can articulate a little softer, and usually the lines come out a little more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our group is definitely uh, an example of how we might approach rhythm and lead. A lot of the rhythm parts are very deliberately uh, on the beat because we're trying to compensate for not having bass and drums, right? Um, but I'd say even some of the lead parts are that way because in our group, you know, it's like everybody's contributing to the time, you know. Um, we don't have as many chances to kind of have somebody being a little bit more elastic with the time from a lead mm -hmm. standpoint just from the nature of our group but i think that's a really important aspect of trying to play lead guitar is being able to shift away from the time a little bit like i say the mm -hmm. way like a vocalist might or the way a horn player might you know um that to me is really getting into the essence of lead guitar like especially when you get outside of the realm of jazz and you think of like great lead guitar players on um solid body it's like they're not always playing you know directly on the time right they're kind of like they're like a vocalist like it, like they're just exactly. soaring over the song exactly and so um yeah i mean i think will you do some of that with your um you know with your solid body guitar you know where you're trying to play more melodically and i think Definitely. just discussing the differences between being in that world versus having your acoustic guitar and trying to play like a big fat pocket that's going to kick the whole band you know i was doing some of this the last four nights where i was going from playing like a lot of rhythm in a drumless group and then turning around and playing like lead solos and it's actually can be kind of like a bit of a mind fuck a little bit you know because yes you're, it can you're going from one zone to another zone and it's like you don't really see piano players doing that. You know, you don't, I guess bass players kind of do point. that. That's a good point. Do you see any other instrument have to operate in such a wide variety? John, what do you think? Like between like what we're talking about, laying down rhythm and having a sustained melodic sound, what other instrument actually has that much variety in the sound and feel of their instrument. I don't yeah. think any Well, instrument. you know, I think really, really great drummers are like that. I think they mm -hmm. play totally different when they're playing melodic and then when they're playing really supportive. But um, but then again, like, for us, we have a kinesthetic difference. Like, we've joked about it in New West, playing, like, intense four-to-the-floor, long rhythm guitar, and then trying to play single lines. I mean, it's like trying to sprint in a marathon and then all of a sudden go down to like a jog. I mean, that's really intense and it's a physical thing and you feel it in your forearms. And mm -hmm. I've tried to get, you know, it's all in the wrist. You know, that's definitely where yeah. a lot of that rhythm guitar comes from. It's not in the forearms. It's it, with a minute your forearms get stiff. You just you're you're done, you know, but mm -hmm. I've tried to get that wrist as loose as possible. And man, it's it's yeah. It's, it's really, really tricky to go between the two. On, it's touch too, right, John? Like, you know, when you're playing a lead or a mel melodic part, you may not have your touch. Your, your touch may not be as hard as when you're playing rhythm. You may, you may not be digging in as much, right? But when you're playing mm -hmm. rhythm, whether it's like four to the floor, Freddie Green style, or even some sort of like Paul Jackson Jr. type of bubble picking, you know, part. Bubble picking. You know, you're still you're digging in a lot more than you might if you're just trying to play like a you know 
trying to get more of a sweet tone. So that's what I find so fascinating about it. And I think the comparison to other instruments is interesting. Like what other instruments have that um, type of technique where they have to dig in as hard for, uh, and adjust their volume accordingly. Like that's why we use volume pedals when we're trying to dig in on rhythm guitar. Yes. You know, um, that's a huge part. It, yeah. It, it's endlessly fascinating as you can tell <laughs> for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could all maybe pick a song and I, again, it's, it, maybe it's a little strange to, to really convey this and we're all going to be basically playing solo guitar. But if we play through a song and just think about some some different aspects, whether we're comping rhythmically, we're playing chord melodies, we're going between comping to single notes, but tying together the groove in the pocket, regardless of what we're doing between rhythm and lead playing. So why don't I start? I'm going to play uh, Up Jump Spring, one of my favorite songs written by Mr. Freddie Hubbard. And uh, let's just see what happens. I don't yeah. really know. Here we go. man it's a great tune it's a great tune who wants uh i don't know who wants to go next in this round robin i'll, I'll give it a shot um right. and you know what i'll do i'll try to do my best to demonstrate for the listeners again kind of how i picture this like going from the field of like full-on rhythm guitar right towards that line where we're playing solo guitar you know tour which might not have a pick you know mm-hmm. for me when i'm on that line honestly you guys i don't i generally don't have a pick in my hand i'll play a solo guitar for four hours without a pick you know and then i get to farther over i'm gonna go to pick and playing some single lines so this will be kind of an interesting exercise i don't know if i've ever done this before <laughs> but that's what we do on the high action podcast right <laughs> so let's see here uh all right this is stella by starlight i'll try to do it in one or maybe two courses if i need to
Yeah, play very nice. Play John. cadence there, John. Nice. That was really well done. Go, do, running the whole gamut. That is that is really difficult to kind of like chronologically yeah, do back and had forth. Had my index nail been better, I would have done a better job with the finger picking thing. But like to me, using all five fingers, even your pinky sometimes just gives you so much freedom. I mean, you look at like guy like Lenny Bro who used thumb picks. And man, like they just, it, the, the playing is so pianistic and Lenny really lived in that world. You listen to his arrangements and the way he's playing and it's like a piano player, you know, he goes from these brilliant fast runs with the fingers to chords, to comping for himself. It's, it's, and Stanley Jordan kind of plays like that a little bit too. Yeah. It's interesting to hear how, um, the right hand can really make you play in a way like a, like a pianist. So I, I, I try to explore that a lot when I'm playing solo guitar and again, kind of walking on that line. So for listeners who are playing and practicing this, I recommend that you, you take a common tune and go through that gamut and find the areas that you feel like you don't, you're not quite comfortable in and sit there for a while and, and figure out ways to create those effects because our instrument, as we've pointed out today, it's one of the few instruments, if the only instrument that can really do that, you know? Yeah. Perry, what are you, uh, what are you feeling? Um, I'll try and do something a little different. I'll, I'll maybe play, uh, maybe Cone Alma in five. Yeah. I'll try that and see if we can get like a different kind of uh, rhythm and, but I'll differentiate. Mm -hmm. I'll try to do about like a chorus of like really playing deliberate rhythm. Um, and then, uh, a chorus of just kind of playing more melodically. So here we go. definitely feel the time there yeah man so, wow well yeah, i don't know i feel like we talked about a lot and yet we bear we kind of didn't even start to get into anything because it's kind <laughs> of like you said it's like almost an impossibly broad subject but i think in closing maybe we could just say an album that we really dig that that is exemplary of of stuff to check out um for me john like you mentioned the oscar peterson trio um it's the oscar peterson trio live at the Concertabau in Amsterdam with Ray Brown and Herb Ellis. There's mm -hmm. no drummer. And 
some of the tempos that Herb goes between from comping to soloing is just mind-boggling. I mean, that guy was a, an athlete, you know, and you're thinking, and he's playing like a 175 through God knows what type of like suitcase amplifier. It's it's really, really impressive. That would definitely be an album I would recommend. Do you guys have anything you want to recommend before we wrap it up? Ooh. Yeah, I um I would check out um, a more recent record from the late '90s, um, Diana Krall Trio, Love Scenes, a tribute to Nat King Cole. Listen to how Russell Malone mm. plays on that record. Him and Christian are just they're just stunning how they play together. Mm. And I I've seen Russell a lot. I saw him with Mulger Miller and Ron Carter, and man, it was brilliant rhythm guitar playing. And he's he's somebody who's taken it to another another level as far as I'm concerned with mm. with how to play in a, his just his touch. <clears throat> the concept of everything. So check out any of those Diana Krall trio records from 97, 98, 99. Yeah. Yeah. Russell's definitely a good look, I guess to add to some of that, I would, I would just say, you know, Jim Hall with Sonny Rollins playing on the bridge. I feel like that in terms of a way of playing rhythm guitar and jazz, and then also approaching lead guitar and jazz, that's pretty phenomenal even still to this day. So um, yeah, there's a lot of good examples though. Like, like you're saying, well, we've kind of barely scratched the surface. We've just sort of talking within jazz today, almost within a solo yep. guitar standpoint, but you know, rhythm guitar is an art in and of itself, even for guys that don't really do much lead playing, you know? So mm -hmm. there's always more to chat about. And, uh, John alluded to this a little bit, but next week we're going to be talking about fingerstyle guitar, which he's so wonderfully exemplified earlier. So we hope you'll join us for that. Uh, any housekeeping? Subscribe on Patreon. Yeah. Uh, let's get to 2,000 downloads on this podcast. What do you say? I think we can right. do it. Text a friend. Text an aunt. Text an uncle. <laughs> Give the gift of high action this season. Do you have By visiting our Teespring life? store and buying a really sweet coffee mug. You know, in all honesty, I got to say the T-shirts that they make are really nice. They're Haynes tagless shirts. I've, I've been moving the last month. All I've worn is that shirt, literally, except for today. Um, wow. Today it's getting washed. But anyway, uh, yeah, check out Teespring store. And definitely, as we've said, the Patreon page is growing. Thank you to all of our new subscribers. And we really appreciate everybody joining us week to week. We're having a lot of fun here. A lot of stuff in store for season two. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And next week, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, finger style. So I think it would be mm -hmm. a good transition because as John was saying, sometimes when you're playing finger style, you're kind of really bridging the gap between playing lead and, and playing rhythm together. So uh, be sure to tune in to see what we have to say next week about finger style uh, guitar techniques so thanks everybody any last words will this is will signing off <laughs> you're just a regular walter cronkite aren't you <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>